0: Welcome to Debrief by MedPro Group, an inside look at some of the 500,000 plus medical malpractice claims handled by our company. In this podcast, our claims experts share the interesting, unique, and often intriguing elements of cases they have handled. Ready? Let's begin. Welcome, listeners, to this episode of Debrief. In today's episode, we are going to wrap up. The case that Curtis Marshall spoke with us about last week. Curtis, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. All right. So last week we spoke about the care that led up to a claim regarding a patient that had squamous cell carcinoma in her her jaw and in her neck, and ultimately uh, moved into her lungs. Correct. Correct. All right. So. This patient had been cared for for a number of years, had seen a number of different providers, uh, three different ENTs, uh, a primary care provider, a tertiary care facility. And this patient and her adult a child were habitually unresponsive to recommendations for care and delayed follow-up with the recommended care. But they felt that it was necessary to file a claim against the initial ENT, which was a med brochure insured, correct?
1: That is how it ended up happening to our insured,
0: unfortunately, for him. All right. So we're going to dig into the, the events that happened after that claim was filed. So, Curtis, walk us through the, the claim has been filed for that first ENT. How did the legal... Proceedings of this case progress?
1: Slowly, uh, I suppose, is probably the key word. Um, I, we mentioned previously this claim wound its way through the system over 14 years. Wow. Which is not typical in any venue that I'm aware of. Uh, so it, it was a, a very difficult process in some ways. Um, I, in getting ready for our conversation, I looked at a couple of things. Uh, there were At least five different attorneys that handled the case for the plaintiff over the course of the case.
0: So that seems very similar to the number of physicians that handled the care.
1: It is not inconsistent with the pattern reflected in the patient's medical records. Okay. It starts for us when the claim is filed against our insured ENT, kind of slowly winds through the process of obtaining the relevant records, obtaining an outside review, getting an understanding of the case from our perspective. And while that's being done, our defense attorneys discover that there have also been claims filed against ENT2 and a number of other providers who were involved in mother's care during the period where the cancer recurred and then ultimately recurred a third time and metastasized. Okay. Many of those claims did not go very far. Uh, They were ultimately dismissed fairly early in the process, but having multiple claims pending in different venues, uh, they were not added to the claim against our insured, instead separate claims were filed, did slow down the process, complicate the process, and confuse the process, Okay, uh, which is another reason why the case took as long as it did.
0: All right. So if I could back up just a hair uh when the claim was filed against the MedPro ENT the initial ENT in MedPro policies for physicians there is very often a consent to settle clause that gives the insured the ability to consent to MedPro settling a claim or not consenting to settle a claim did the ENT provide consent to settle or did the ENT say no, I, I don't want to settle this claim. I didn't do anything wrong. I want to fight this claim.
1: We never received a signed consent. And this policy did have uh, a consent clause putting that power in the hands of the insured. It was discussed. The case was mediated a couple of times over the course of, of, of the action. In the workup for trial, we endeavor to confirm with our insureds their position on consent, send a trial letter lay out the assessment of the claim as determined by our defense counsel. Uh, in my role as, as the claim consultant, I offer my thoughts as well, and we remind them that to date they have or have not consented, and usually send a blank consent form if you wish to change your mind or if you have any questions, please contact me, all of my, my email, my, my cell phone, my landline, there's even a fax number in there if you uh, still do that. So, uh, you know, get a hold of me if you've got a question. And uh, and so that, that pretty regularly happens uh, in the work up to trial. And at no point in the 14-year pendency of this action did the insured ever consent to settle the case.
0: Okay. And that means that MedPro, it's incumbent upon us to defend the case and and not offer settlement, correct?
1: Absolutely. I I always describe it to my insureds as uh, the consent clause being an on-off switch. If it's off, I can't even contemplate making an offer, and I wouldn't. If it's on, that doesn't mean we have to settle it, but it gives us the authority to negotiate. Right. And and in this instance, uh, certainly at no point uh, when I worked on the file and I didn't have it for the first eight years of its existence. Uh, my predecessor did, but when I work on a file, I'm going to give the insured my honest opinion of whether the claim should be settled or not. Incorporating, of course, the value assessment of defense counsel as to how defensible the case is. And we never recommended settlement. Defense counsel didn't recommend settlement. We stood proudly behind the care our, our insured ENT provided in this case. Uh, we believed we had a strong defense on standard of care, uh, backed by a, a very qualified expert, and an even better defense on causation because really the claims ultimately against our insured when it was tried related to whether or not we provided patient with adequate options for follow-up after he did the surgery to remove the recurrent squamous cell carcinoma on the tongue. Okay. Um, And that causation defense we can get into in more detail later, but it was pretty simply, she sought a second opinion four days later. All right. And so at that point, what more can our
0: doctor do? Right. Okay. So five different attorneys involved in in the plaintiff's case. Uh, A number of providers were sued. Uh, Our insured, the MedPro insured, did not provide consent to settle. So walk us through how the case progressed through the legal system. And I know you said slowly, so.
1: Certainly, I mean, in some aspects, we did in this case what we do in most cases, records acquisition, review of records, obtaining outside expert assessment of the defensibility of the claim, perhaps a causation expert if the case was appropriate. In this case, uh, at trial, we ultimately presented the testimony of just one expert who, was able to speak to both facets of the defense. Um, depositions of the various parties our insured, surgeon, subsequent providers, uh, ENT2, who was sued separately. Uh, but by the time the case got to trial, the cases were merged. So plaintiff was presenting one case against our ENT and the ENT insured by another carrier. Um, so multiple depositions. The patient's adult child was deposed multiple times through the process. Uh, as I said, five attorneys, uh, they, they came and went. There were multiple periods during the, the 14-year pendency of the case where there was no attorney in the case for, for the estate, uh, and the patient's adult child was filing matters themselves uh, to keep the case alive or request additional time to seek new counsel. The case was also set for trial four times. Okay, first trial about eight years into the life of it, and uh, we actually requested an extension or continuance of the trial date at that time because uh, the plaintiff through counsel had failed to respond to damages discovery, had failed to disclose a provider, uh, and and also at that point, I think that the decision was made that it needed to be consolidated with the case against ENT two because. At the end of the day, it was a wrongful death case. Uh, The the damages in the case related to the fact that the patient had passed away. Uh, And so in order to avoid multiple recoveries or inconsistent results, uh, our case was combined with that of ENT2, and it was presented, set up to be presented
0: uh, as a single case. Okay. Before we continue with today's episode, if you have enjoyed the content of this podcast, please consider subscribing to our show and sharing it with colleagues who you believe would benefit from the content we provide. Also, if you're an insurance professional and you would like to receive a quote for professional liability for your healthcare clients, feel free to email us at debrief at medpro.com and we will reach out to you promptly. If you are a listener in the healthcare industry and you would like a quote for professional liability from MedPro Group, you can also email us at debrief at and we will connect you with an insurance professional in your area who can assist you in getting a quote from MedPro Group. Now, back to the episode. So when there are multiple defendants involved and multiple insurance carriers involved defending those different defendants, can you speak to some of the Maybe challenges or benefits that come from having to work with a, another carrier and their defense counsel and coordinate that defense across multiple defendants?
1: Certainly. I mean, the challenges are, are thankfully mostly factually based. The attorneys that work in this realm are, in any venue I've ever worked in, a fairly small subset of defense attorneys, uh, and so they all know each other and are certainly capable and happy to to work together towards a unified defense and that's the most important challenge if there isn't going to be a unified defense then the trial is going to be a lot more complicated
0: and why is that
1: because then we don't just have the experts retained by plaintiff criticizing our insured we face the risk of experts retained by co-defendant criticizing our insured
0: okay so essentially we have a situation which was kind of like the last episode that you talked about, where, or not the last episode, but the last case, I should say, where you have expert witnesses or other defendants who are criticizing the care of another defendant, correct? Correct. Okay.
1: Uh, and that's obviously a risk. It's the, it's the primary risk when the parties uh, are unable to work together. Thankfully, that was not an issue. In this case, uh, the defendants were both ENTs. It was a subsequent course of care. Uh, neither our insured nor uh, ENT2 were critical of one another. Uh, and so when the case ultimately was tried, uh, our expert only reviewed our doctor's care because it ended before the new doctor for ENT2 became a party to the case, before it became a party to treating the plaintiff. Uh, and, and so his review was limited to that subset, but he had nothing to say about the, the care of the subsequent treater uh, and the experts retained by co-defendant were supportive of all of the ENT care provided by the two doctors in the case.
0: Okay. It sounds like there was a, a good, solid expert witness support for the care of these physicians. So where did the case go after that once uh, the expert witnesses were able to provide a good solid support for the standard of care by the two ENTs?
1: As I had mentioned, the case was originally continued at the request of our counsel. It was ultimately continued two more times for various reasons before being tried 14 years in. At the time of trial, uh, after an extended period of time where the patient's adult child who had attended all of the healthcare visits with her uh, and had been kind of a driving force in some of the conflicts between the patient and our insured and subsequent providers was replaced as personal representative of the estate by a third party.
0: Okay, so the estate is still being represented and the case is moving forward We've finally gotten to the place where it's in trial. So how did this ultimately wrap up? How did this ultimately get uh, settled or decided?
1: Well, it, it proceeded to trial. Uh, the court scheduled it for two weeks. Uh, and uh, case as it worked up closer to trial, it became clear to our counsel that ENT2 was the primary target. He was involved in the, the follow-up period more closely simply because the patient self-referred away from our doctor uh, and, and followed up at the time that the recurrence was diagnosed and the metastasis was discovered. And so they, they, they made multiple allegations, applied them to both to a certain extent, but it was clear based upon the allegations that, that ENT2 was their main target. Um, they alleged that the doctors failed to appropriately treat squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue, uh, that they failed to provide informed consent specifically relating to all treatment options after excision of the cancer. Uh, They claimed that standard of care, uh, again, roughly 14, 15 years earlier required radiation or elective neck dissection based upon the tumor that was resected by our insured. and alleged that, that these failures resulted in metastasis to the lungs and the patient's death.
0: So as I was reading through the notes, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like there was potentially a shift over time because this, this case did drag on for so long that a certain modality of care had shifted to a different modality of care later on. Uh, was, was that the case?
1: Indeed, and I think that that happens fairly frequently the longer I do this. Uh, In various realms of medicine, there are excellent uh, teaching institutions and physicians and researchers advancing the state of the art. Um, And uh, certainly the primary defense uh, to the argument that the standard of care required radiation or elective neck dissection at the time our insured was providing treatment is that it wasn't supported by the literature at the time. And in fact, our defense expert presented kind of the landmark study uh, that it wasn't supported in the literature until about eight years after our insured had stopped treating this patient. So it was standard of care, arguably, at the time of trial, but not at the time of treatment.
0: All right. Is that sometimes a problematic hurdle to overcome in defending physicians, or is that something that can be fairly easily overcome by looking back at, at the medical community and saying, well, at, at this point in time, this was the standard of care?
1: It can be a problem. It depends on what kind of documentation, what kind of research is out there, and, and how the experts present it. Uh, we were fortunate that we hired uh, an excellent ENT with an academic background who was used to teaching. And our ENT expert took the stand, talked to the jury about how the science is advanced. You know, the the studies, how a study is conducted, what you're looking for, what you do, how you collect those results, how it's peer reviewed. Uh, And he did an excellent job of explaining to the jury uh, exactly why what they were arguing simply was not the standard of care back when our doctor was treating this patient.
0: Okay. Great. Well, I, again, I think that that's, we've, we've talked about that in other episodes that the importance of really high quality expert witnesses is often critical and and key to effective defense of insurance.
1: Yeah, it, it makes a difference. And, and, Often in cases, both sides have good experts, but if they can connect their opinions to, to something that makes sense to a lay jury, and I would include myself as a lay juror in the sense of uh, I do not have a medical background. I've been doing this for 14 years, and so I, I've learned a few things along the way. Uh, but the ability for them to explain the care, and especially in a case like this, where a key part of plaintiff's argument is about advancements in the state of the art. Putting that in a language that a jury can easily understand, whether they are, uh, you know, a business executive or uh, they work, you know, in a more blue collar industry or somewhere in between.
0: Okay. So, how did the case ultimately get decided? Uh,
1: ultimately, the case was turned over to the jury. Uh, plaintiff presented their experts. Defense presented their experts. Uh, the two doctors did provide testimony to the jury, so the jury got the opportunity to see who they were and the kind of care that they provided. Uh, the jury deliberated for approximately two hours, a period of time that included their lunch, uh, and returned a defense verdict for all parties.
0: Okay. Well, that's that's great. So to, to kind of come back on, on something that we discussed in the prior episode leading up to this, there was a lot of issues with the patient being difficult and non-compliant and there was documentation of that uh, non-compliance by multiple providers. And then there was also multiple providers who severed the relationship between themselves and the, the plaintiff or the patient. How did that play out in the defense and the trial and, and, I don't know if you can speak specifically to like how the jury may have seemed to have responded to that information.
1: It is difficult to say exactly how the jury responded. Um, I have attended a number of trials with our insurance. Uh, I was there for most of this case. And I find that juries tend to have pretty good poker faces. Um, They take their jobs very seriously. They take a lot of notes. They're listening attentively. Uh, but they don't really react in a particularly obvious way most of the time, and I didn't see anything like that here. Certainly, the patient's noncompliance and the involvement of the the adult child in that noncompliance was an issue. Um, It it was advanced by both sides. Plaintiff tried to argue, particularly as to ENT2, that his note where he charted how difficult the treating this patient had been was self-serving. And he was just trying to cover up his mistakes. Uh, But the defense was able to point to not only his dismissal of this patient, but multiple other providers doing the same thing to suggest to the jury, hey, uh, think of me what you will. Right. But these records show I wasn't the only one who had this problem with her.
0: Right. Okay. This case took 14 years to resolve. Obviously, there was a lot involved. Did you get any sense from the MedPro Insured that they were, they were satisfied with the process and that they felt that they were effectively represented and, and protected throughout the course of this process?
1: Absolutely, yeah. As I said, I attended trial for multiple days. Uh, our insured actually had been retired for a number of years before the case had tried. And, and so I told him uh, on at least one occasion, if not more, that we appreciated him standing behind his care. Uh, And I think he he expressed to us and to defense counsel that he appreciated the efforts and the quality of assistance that defense counsel was able to provide uh, in securing the the verdict that we thought was appropriate. Um, Juries can do a lot of different things, uh, but uh, we believe this was a case where our doctor provided quality care uh, and, and it merited defense to the end. And we were thrilled, obviously, to see. Uh, that the jury agreed with our assessment.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Curtis, so much for taking the time to go through this rather complex case and break it out into two episodes for our listeners. I really appreciate all of your effort in uh, bringing this case to us and and all the effort of the claims team and and so forth as well, because I know it's not just you that's involved in bringing this case uh, to us. Listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of Debrief. We look forward to having you with us on our next episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Debrief. I've been your host, Travis Langford. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more information about MedPro, including healthcare liability insurance quotes and risk management resources, please visit us at MedPro.com. A special thank you to the MedPro Group Claims, Legal and marketing teams for researching, screening, and reviewing episode content and providing marketing collateral and support for this podcast. Technical direction, music, pre and post production by Travis Langford. This podcast does not constitute legal or medical advice and should not be construed as rules for establishing a standard of care. Because the facts applicable to your situation may vary or the laws applicable in your jurisdiction may differ, please contact your attorney or other professional advisors if you have any questions related to your legal or medical obligations, rights, state or federal laws, contract interpretation, or other legal questions. MedPro Group is the marketing name used to refer to the insurance operations of the Medical Protective Company, Princeton Insurance Company, Plyco Inc., and MedPro RRG Risk Retention Group. All insurance products are underwritten and administered by these and other Berkshire Hathaway affiliates, including National Fire and Marine Insurance Company. Product availability is based upon business and or regulatory approval and or may differ among companies. Copyright 2023, MedPro Group Inc. All rights reserved.